Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford FC. My name is Matthew Messiano and joining me once again are football journalist Tom Burdell and football analyst Jordan Weimer. Guys, how are we doing? Very well, thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, another good win and four in a row, feeling pretty good. Yeah, four victories on the trot now with Watford's uh, 3-2 win over Blackburn yesterday. But uh, what did we learn from that victory though, Jordan? I mean, for me, I thought it showed some some good character. I know, I know the last portion of the game got a little bit nervy towards the end, and we did concede a couple of sloppy goals. But I think just the fact that we went away from home, the conditions were bad. Obviously, the pitch was was quite bad too, and we we still went in there with the intent to to play our football, and we tried to push on with that. And it eventually, you know, we came we came up with the result. So I think we can take away from that some positives. We we didn't go there and kind of go direct too early. We didn't change things and, and try and adjust, and, and didn't really didn't really suffer from some of the the pitfalls we've had in previous away performances in a situation similar to that where the, the conditions have been bad. So I think I said I said during the game, I'm not really one to heap praise on the kind of grinding out a result, but I think in that situation there we did it the right way. Um I think we can be pretty pretty positive on the whole. Tom, it was a terrible pitch yesterday. Did do you think that had an effect on the Watford's performance? I don't think it can have helped, no, because we do try and you know, get the ball forward sort of into the into the wide areas certainly and, and, and quite quickly and, you know, not directly but necessarily, but, you know, with kind of fast zipped passes and mm. so on. It just wasn't a great, it wasn't a great surface at all, was it? The amount of times the ball dropped and ordinarily you'd expect it to, to bounce or whatever and it just stopped dead and, you know, through whoever was nearest or, you know, was getting stuck under people's feet when they're getting into areas to shoot or trying to get a ball out and, and, and get a pass off. It was it was it was suboptimal, wasn't it, I think. Um but it's one of those things that you kind of just you have to deal with the multitude of things that kind of come your way over the course of a championship season, over the course of any season, I suppose. And you know, this season with the uh the number of games and the the the, the kind of little time between them it's it's been more kind of prevalent than ever, but we we found a way to win, and and that's all you can ask for. And I think um, in in games like that, it's just about it's about getting out. And you know, as as Jordan says, there's not one to praise. Kind of just getting the result, but that really was all you could say yesterday. I don't think you can, although we're going to try to. I don't think you can do too much of a detailed analysis of what went right and wrong. It was just right, three points done, move on, and 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 focus on the Bournemouth game. 
One thing I will say about the pitch is that them two midfielders that are pushing up, and in last night's case, it was Cleverly and Gosling, when they're pushing up in that opposing four-man midfield, because they have to kind of track them guys, they have to sit deep. It gave Will Hughes plenty of room in that midfield area. It gave him a little bit more time, and then he was able to really dictate things. So I think even though it might have just been a happenstance of how he'd been playing, him having that extra few seconds on the ball just gave him that that extra time to kind of take a touch and then push that ball forwards where it wasn't an easy pitch to do so. And I think that maybe did have an impact, especially when he was able to dominate the game like he did last night in possession. Difficult probably to train for that kind of scenario, isn't it? Because I'm, you know, I've not been there recently, but I imagine the Watford training ground is pretty immaculate. And, you know, how do you sort of train for a, for, for a substandard pitch? I think, I mean, I think you kind of almost just have to go back to your roots a little bit, don't you? I think everyone's played, any level of football, everyone's played on bad pitches before. You know there are certain things you've got to take into account. You you have to, you know, be a little bit more sure in your touch and you can't you can't quite play it down the floor the way you want to. I mean, especially when it's waterlogged like that too. You can see the way the players are playing. It took a first few opportunities, first few passes from the centre-backs that were very, you know, forceful in their pass. They have to kind of overhit it and make sure it gets the man. Gets the man. They can't afford to mess around there. So, you know, once they get an idea of where the pitch is at, they can kind of start to open their play up a little bit. But yeah, it makes it very difficult to, to prepare for. You just kind of have to have to go a little bit more direct. But as I was saying early on, I think we we did a good job of, of balancing the two. We were direct. We still tried to play. And I think in the second half, maybe it cleared up a little bit and it got a little easier. But we, we were still effective in what we we're trying to do. And it didn't come off perhaps as cleanly as we'd have liked. But we still got our wide men into play and we still managed to kind of progress that ball through midfield. And we didn't end up just hitting it long. And maybe part of that is down to the fact we don't have the players to kind of work off. But I think if we'd seen that game last night and Troy Dean was in the team, it would have been very easy for us to fall into that into that habit of playing a little bit earlier and a little bit longer. So I think we kind of did a good job of, of sticking to our plan. Mm. Pedro got the opening goal for us. It, it was a chance that he sort of gambled on. Uh, he got there ahead of the keeper, Kaminsky, and, and just looped it over his head. And the young man did really well there, didn't he, Tom? Yeah, I'd Gifton Noel Williams talked um, about kind of striking instincts at half time for the for the second goal uh, in terms of Ishmael Asar being you know kind of Johnny on the spot. But I thought the same sort of thing applied to to Joao Pedro in that goal that you know it was a bit of a hopeful kind of lofted ball forward from Tom Cleverley, wasn't it? Sort of bounced, he just hooked it forward in the hope that he could you get it into a dangerous area and you can in that situation you might go oh that's gonna go too long or the keeper's gonna mop that up or whatever I'm not gonna chase that but he chased that down and he got his he got his reward for it and 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 I think for someone who kind of signed as a uh, you know not a number nine and has gradually been molded into a number nine he is definitely picking up parts of of you know important parts of that game of, of the game um, of the role, sorry, rather than the game going forward, and I just thought that was a you know really nice kind of encapsulation of that, and it was a really good finish as well. And I dare say, and I said I texted you guys this at the same time. I dare say that we might not have scored that goal had Troy Deeney been playing because he probably wouldn't have been in that position for the turnover in the first place because he would have been slightly deeper. So that is the benefit of having someone with kind of Joao Pedro's pace and mobility and what have you um, through the middle. So, yeah, no, really, really nice, even though it wasn't a sort of beautifully constructed goal. It was quite satisfying in its own right. Mm. It's one that I remember you you were saying that uh, it's one that you don't think you'd have seen the likes of Dini or or Gray scoring. I mean, mean, Gray is probably a bit of a harsh judgment, but I suspect 
because he's kind of low on confidence, he might have tried to bring it down and do something and the angle would probably have gone or, you know, on the crappy pitch that it was, he might have miscontrolled it or something. And as I say, for Dini, I suspect because his more natural inclination is to play deeper these days, I suspect with the, the chance coming on the turnover like that, you would have probably found that he'd have been behind Tom Cleverley or, or level with Tom Cleverley and not in that little gap to make the you know make the the dart um, between centre halves and, and go on and lob it in. So um, it's you know it's not necessarily a criticism of those players, but it, it just kind of evidence of of what I think Jao Pedro brings to the team. And uh, it was you know a, a bit of a cliche, but you know. Horrible Wednesday night in the. I don't think it was necessarily particularly cold, but horrible Wednesday night in the in the north of England. And you know the boy from Brazil kind of comes up good with the goods as if he's been playing in those conditions his whole life. And I would add that by the way that um, you know I think a lot of the pitches in Brazil are quite quite poor as well, aren't they? So mm. I suspect it wasn't the first time he's played on a, a an appalling surface. Yeah. Uh, it was him actually that uh, that sort of created the second in a way. It was it was a, it was a good um, shot from him that was well saved, and then Saar was able to tuck it home for the second. And in that build up, uh, Familia put in a really tidy cross as well that, that sort of worried the opposition and it allowed Pedro to get that shot in, and and eventually Saar tucked it home. And it's another example of good tenacious work from your forwards, isn't it? I think as you say, Familia did really well again. Um, we've seen him putting them putting them dangerous crosses all season and you know, if you can get players in the box and you can make it difficult for the opposition, then it's always gives the opportunity. And I think we did a good job of, of really pouncing on those chances. And I, I think with Pedro's goal as well, you kind of see a little bit of sharpness that we've maybe lacked and there's a little bit more desire to kind of get into those areas and, and be a little bit faster. And I think just that half just that half a yard difference that, that makes can you know, it can be it's fine margins. It can make the, the world of difference when it comes to scoring opportunities and actually getting getting your chances. And yeah, I think it's another example of how good we can be when we do that. So yeah, please for Star and um yeah, we get to see that right hand side being effective again. Harvey Elliott, the on loan Liverpool man, scored a decent goal for Rovers to get them back in it shortly before half time. But was Messina at fault for that one? He, I mean it looked like he got tackled a bit too easily. I think Hughes gave Hughes wasn't didn't cover himself in glory either. I think you know no. as, as good as Will Hughes was, I think it's unfair to leave him out of criticism. And I'm not I'm not really criticising. He made a mistake. It's not you know it happens, but he he was definitely involved in that piece of play too. And Masner, yeah, he he took too long. I think generally you know he's a, he's a bigger guy. He he probably feels quite confident that he can kind of shield that and take his time to kind of get the ball away. And generally he will, but yeah, he lost out. And I think it's it's fair to say he made a mistake and he, he struggled a little bit in, in that area. But yeah. And uh, it, it wasn't really, I mean, there's never a good time to concede, is there? But right before half time, it kind of gave them a lift going in uh, at the break, didn't it, for Blackburn? It was one of those goals where just before half time, having been, you know, fairly comfortable, I don't think Blackburn had created anything off the top of my head for of note up until that point you just think oh it just gives them such a little you know gets their tails up just before half time go in and, and Tony Mowbray will get into them and say come on you know we can give yourselves a platform from here and it was just as I say the avoidability of it it was the it was the double error wasn't it that Hughes lost it and then Messina as well and you just think just before half time you know and talks about the conditions and don't want to blame the conditions or anything like that but you just think in those conditions in that moment of the game game management that little bit of you know, experience that Messina's got and, and Hughes has got, you just think just either get rid of it or do the safe thing. Don't overcomplicate it, don't you? It's one of those, you know, you're taught in school or probably not taught, but you pick up in school. If in doubt, put it out. You just think in that situation, Messina would have been as well off just spanking it into the, 
you know, into Rose Ed as he was trying to do what in any other period of the game might have been seen as the more well would have been seen as the more sensible and progressive thing. So yeah, just just before half time like that, it was it was a real kick in the teeth. And I think it kind of followed that in the second half they came out um quite, you know, front foot and had their probably best little period of the game, didn't they, straight after the restart? And uh, probably no surprise given uh, they'd got that goal back. It's a decent wake-up, though, isn't it? If we're starting to play a different style of football and we are trying to keep it down a little bit more and, and try and be a little bit more controlled in our play, obviously there's a time and a place for that. And I, I can sympathise with players maybe taking and <laughs> trying to play a bit too much in, in those areas when you're trying to move move forward and you know evolve how you're playing as a team. But I think if, if we can get that out of our system now, and we can use it as a wake-up call, then perhaps we can kind of find a better balance in those situations. And it's frustrating, but we can we can move past it now. The results kind of gone in our favour. But in isolation, it's a frustrating moment because Blackburn weren't really causing us as many problems as, as they could have potentially. So to lose it and kind of feel like we're changing the momentum going into the second half is, you know, it's a frustrating way of doing it. But, you know, those mistakes happen. I think it's, uh, it's one you can bounce back from, definitely. Despite that, in the second half, Watford did manage to get the third goal and that sort of proved to be the decisive one in the end. And it was probably one of the best moves of the match, actually. Gosling played in Pedro, who found Semmer, and it was a neat little finish into the corner. And it, ultimately, that proved to be the decisive goal. It was a really nice goal, wasn't it, in terms of the overall construction, the overall build-up, a move that I think started right at the back of the team and, and, and went all the way forward. And I thought what was particularly... Um, or what I particularly enjoyed in it was the the fact that uh, João Pedro kind of waited for the optimum moment, didn't he, to get his get his little layoff to 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 Ken. And there, there were a lot of times last night where it felt we got on the transition, we got into those areas, and then we just screwed up the final pass. You know, we had a man over, and we were just so close to getting that getting that player into acres of space to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, and, and but that was the perfect kind of uh, the perfect kind of manoeuvre on the on the counter and a, a really well taken goal actually from Ken Semmer because the angle wasn't wasn't terrific. Dan Gosling, who uh, played a big part in that third goal, started the game for the for the, for the first time this season and he came in for Nathaniel Chalaba. How did he do, Jordan? Yeah, I thought he did fine. I thought he looked a little bit fatigued um, in the later parts of the game. I thought, but he had a he had a tough job. He had a lot of work to do, and as you said, we've discussed a lot already. The, the conditions were bad, so. I think he did everything he needed to. Um, I think he's he's still kind of working his way back in. It'll be really interesting to see if he gets the start of the weekend, obviously, as well, um, against his former club. But mm. I think he, he did a good job in terms of off the ball. I thought on the ball maybe he could have been a little bit quicker, but again, it's hard to kind of criticise too much um, last night in that sense. But I think he's just kind of easing his way into the team at this point. Um, but alongside cleverly, look, those two, we've kind of seen that we've established that kind of balance in midfield where you're going to have Will Hughes sitting a little bit deeper. He's going to be the one dictating the play, kind of starting the ball uh, rolling from the back and looking to kind of push us forward from there. And then those two in front of him, they're not they're not actually more attacking than, than Will Hughes in really any way. It's more about them being able to press the opposition and make it really difficult. And as we touched on earlier as well, they can, they can push that midfield back and give Will Hughes that room to play in as well, which is beneficial to us. So as long as Gosling kind of being you know solid in possession and he can keep things moving the, the real work and the real pluses you're going to see from him and Clever could be what they're doing off the ball and how they can affect the game in that way At 3-1 um, a few changes would have been made and uh, Gray came on for Jao Pedro Wilmot came on for Semmer um, 
a few people on Twitter have said, why do we think that when we make these changes in the second half, does it seem to dis- disrupt what, what it is that we're doing and, and sometimes put in a, in a bit of jeopardy? Have you noticed that at all? Or is this unfair criticism that I've seen on Twitter? I think it's fair. Um, it's, when you make, it depends. It's always, it's always about kind of, you know, if you're, make, if you're making changes when there's momentum going in your favour, then maybe it's a little bit easier to come on. If you're kind of against it, then it's, it's difficult to kind of come in and have that impact straight away. So there's lots of factors at play. I think in terms of how the subs affected us last night, I think probably the biggest impact you could say is that I think it did, it, it did disrupt our set piece defending. Um, we didn't perhaps get organised quick enough and obviously that's one of the issues you can have when you're changing personnel over and you're going to your set piece you know, situation you haven't quite haven't quite got yourself into the game yet you might not be as quick as you need to be and to get into your man and like Ben Wilmot obviously was at fault um, for, for the goal he kind of got wrapped up and was watching the player and just didn't you know lost his feet a bit so you can argue that that was disruptive um, for us but I think on the whole, they did okay. Um, thinking they got to come on and play a little bit more of a central role for a little while and then got switched over to that left. And I think maybe you could argue that the, the players coming on weren't so much like for like. It was a, a slight, slight change to, to the way things were going. I, I did think actually um, that it's worth mentioning, I thought Andre Gray did okay actually when he came on. I thought he, mm. he kind of got into his man pretty well and he, he brought the ball down. He won a couple of free kicks. He held the ball in the corner. Um, this isn't the sort of level we, we want from a striker. We're not talking about good performances over 90 minutes here. But from what he came on and what he was able to do and what he was asked to do, um, I thought he did a good job in that. So he, he deserves a little bit of credit in my opinion. And Hughes in that sort of deeper role demonstrated how he can influence the play a bit oh massively so i thought he was great wasn't he um uh, especially kind of helping things kickstart down that right hand side with familiar bombing on and and, and sorry able to kind of push on too or drift inside i think having will hughes in that deeper role um we, we've seen over the years at watford how how effective a player with ability in in that position can be in regards to etting Capoo. and i think will hughes is kind of stepping into that role a little bit now and he's able to kind of push things forward and you can feel pretty comfortable too off the ball that he's going to win it back as well so he's becoming an all-round midfielder in there been, he's been absolutely excellent hasn't he and i think um, you know, had he been fit all season and available all season, I dare say he'd be in the conversation for, for player of the year because he's just, you know, we've talked about it before, so I don't want to bore people by going over the same things, but just his ability to break up moves and just get a toe on things and, and, and disrupt opposing the, the opposition is fantastic. But then the fact that he can he can marry that up with, uh, you know, with his, his ability to keep the ball moving and intelligent passes and whatnot is, is, is a real you know, added bonus. And uh, we talked a lot at the time about Etienne Capu leaving and, you know, how on earth do you replace him? And he's not, he's certainly not a like-for-like replacement. He's a totally different player, but he has done a very good impression of Etienne Capu at times in, in sitting as the deepest line midfielder and and really, you know, dictating things for us. And as, as Jordan says, setting the tempo. So he's, he's, he's been so, so important and it just makes it all the more infuriating that he's been unavailable and, and misused at times as well. I think too. I've still seen the frustration of him not playing further forward because he can be a goal threat, and he's he's obviously good in those forward areas when it comes to playing in his his teammates, and he's effective. But I think it is worth it is worth noting that 
previous to him being included in the team, we had some real struggles with getting that ball from midfield into our forwards. I know we were playing a different system, but with the likes of Chabra and Cleverly, we just didn't have that incisiveness in, on, in possession that we needed. And he just has that calmness, incisiveness, and if you create space for him and you give him that time and you and players know that he's able to find them, you see just a complete difference in how we're operating. Having him in that deeper role, we need someone to start the attack. And if you don't have someone that's, you know, it's, it's, you want to have your best player in there in some ways because they are able to do so much in that position so I do think we're getting to see the real good real good display from Will Hughes of how he can perform at a consistent level now In the last podcast we mentioned a little bit about how Watford were struggling somewhat with set pieces and corners and we've already <laughs> touched on it a bit but again uh, we managed to concede from a corner is it an area that you think that Watford need to readdress or look at? It's funny isn't it because we both said oh I don't think you know people will take too much from our inability to deal with Derby set pieces as much as they will sort of observe Derby's set pieces are really good. And, you know, I'm sure that that goal wasn't a result of us being poor uh, from set pieces against Derby, but you, you, you can't help but think it's, uh, you know, further evidence of a, of an issue that uh, it just doesn't seem to go away. And, and, and to be honest as well, transcends, and I'd be interested at your perspective on why this is John but an issue that's transcended um managers. you know managers mm. that's it yeah exactly thank you Matt I think there's lots of factors at play in, in that isn't there I mean we've had some issues for a number of years I think there are some personnel problems um I, I do think that we've had some we have we've lacked a dominance in uh defensive ability when it comes to aerial aerial threat um from our center backs for a few years we haven't had the most we haven't had the best aerial aerial centre backs in our team. Um, I know we had a little bit of an improvement last year with Craig Dawson, but across the five six years in the Premier League, we've kind of struggled that a little bit. Um, I also think too we maybe have lacked a little bit from not having so much of a from our understanding uh, a defend a set piece coach to kind of give you that extra extra boost and that extra bit of kind of insight into defending those areas. We've switched between systems. We've been zonal. We've been man marking. We've never really kind of found a balance. We're always talked about as this, or at least in our Premier League era, always talked about as this, you know, very tall physical team, but we're never able to kind of defend those situations. Um, I think you can look at the goalkeepers as well. We maybe haven't had the most dominant goalkeepers in their box uh, in those situations too. And I think sometimes it is maybe a little bit overlooked from managers when it comes to everything that goes on in the game. Maybe set pieces can kind of be a little bit tacked on at the end, especially when it comes to defending them. So that can they can all play parts in that. Um, I think last night and our current situation, I still think that we have improved some. I, I do think we look better with the likes of Serialta in there. And I, I think we've become a little bit more competent at dealing with those situations. But one thing, as we touched on earlier, that really can hurt you as you're making substitutions, that can disrupt the flow of kind of getting into position early and, and being assured in what you're doing. I mean, oftentimes you're kind of seeing the, the players on the sideline before they're coming on, giving, being given instructions. You know, a lot of the time that's, that's down to set pieces because that's specifics they have to be aware of and they have to have fresh in their mind but last night Ben Wilmot got caught up again and you know he was watching the player and he got wrapped up and it just it, it cost us a goal in the end so it's something we need to be aware of but I think it's something that we have seen some incremental improvements in and I think we're, we're going to be over the course of the season I think we'll have a better feeling in those set piece situations than we have done in previous years that's how I feel on this one anyway I just looked out while Jordan was chatting there. The this season we're actually fourth best in the division for uh, set piece goals conceded, only six. Last season in the Premier League, obviously different league, different level. 
second worst and season prior fifth worst so some improvement but is that I purely think, down to the fact we're in a, a division where we're one of the stronger teams now well I think if 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 you if we sat down and looked at our set piece defending across every single match we've had over the last few years, I think you could you could definitely isolate some common themes that you know have caused us issues in that in that area. But I think also there's some individual kind of you know nuances to each each coach that that kind of lead lead towards that too. I think under Marco Silva, I remember probably the worst game I've seen us defensively um, from set pieces was at home to Burnley under Marco Silva, and we were horrific. I think Sam Sam Vokes maybe scored a winner from from a corner or a set piece. I can't recall now, but our, our defending was so flat footed, and you kind of almost. I, I think the thing with set pieces is it kind of gives you that that time. If you're nervous about them, you've got that build up, that anticipation for the ball comes in. You can see it on the player's body language. If, if they're not confident defending set pieces, it really becomes an issue quite quickly. I think it has been for a number of years for us, but I think there's a freshness to our team now that I think we've kind of lost a little bit of that anxiety that comes around it I don't feel even when we've conceded set pieces I don't have that same that same fear that I used to have when you see the opposition get a corner you know that the players on the pitch are are defenders and just everyone that's coming back into that box are kind of looking a little bit anxious about the situation I don't quite feel that now so I think even that in itself is an improvement for me Mm. and if there's one thing we're we're worse at than uh, than defending set pieces, it's taking set pieces. I mean, there was a moment in the game where we uh, we had a free kick and Tom Cleverley was was stepping up to take it, and and uh, I decided that was going to be my opportune time to to go and nip to the loo because I knew that. Uh, he wasn't going to do anything, and uh, I came back down. And, and needless to say, he hadn't. But <laughs> it's a it's a real problem. I mean, uh, there was a fantastic stat going around that I, I I've somehow forgotten, but uh, it was something like we haven't scored a free kick in. Oh gosh, was it? Uh, Home and Abdi against Aston Villa, or something, wasn't it? Was that it our last? Was. It must have been. Yeah, free but kick I Alan believe Abdi that is. Villa? Yeah, I believe That's that, that is. Yeah. piece, didn't they? Mm. But it's not. It's, just, it's, it's not just free kicks. Corners. I don't. I don't see we're yeah. particularly good at corners. I mean, we don't score as many headers as we probably should with the likes of Kafka, with the likes of Shiralta. I'd say. I'd say with the corner with our offensive set pieces, I think we 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 lack that consistent delivery. There's, you've got a few options. I mean, I think we we saw it with James Garner. You, you have some players where you might not be the most consistently accurate. It's very hard to get a, a set piece taker that you can say, look, this is the pattern we're running. These are where the players are going. You're going to hit this guy. That's the plan. Is you have to have a very good set piece taker to do that in the first place. On, on the flip side of that, you can have someone that you know that can consistently or reasonably consistently get good good strike of the ball into the box into dangerous areas which is what we saw us trying to do with with James Garner for a while where he was able to kind of get a decent connection to the ball and you kind of get that fast whipped in corner that makes it quite difficult for defenders and you kind of improvise and you, you attack off that but we haven't really got anyone I mean I, I would argue that Zinconego is capable of doing it but over the course of a number of seasons I mean going back you know Going back to the, our previous run of the championship up to that point where we had Daniel Todger who could take a you know really yeah. nice set piece. But since then we've really kind of struggled to have any consistency. And I mean, how many how many near how many corners have we seen that's fallen to the first man? And it, it is it is infuriating because they're good opportunities and in a league of fine margins like the Premier League or Championship, to to rule out something as that can be as valuable as a set piece, even if we're talking about two, three goals extra a season, that could have been the difference of us staying up last season. Um or getting 
or getting automatic promotion or you know winning a playoff game this season so there are things need to be considered and I'd say when it comes to recruitment looking at players coming in I think that sh- there should be some value placed on the set piece taker um, if we're kind of bringing in a new starting player in a certain position that should be looked at because it is deficient right now and you can tell that by the way we've switched around our set piece takers you know we've gone from Hughes cleverly Chalaba when he's been on the pitch we've tried lots of different options we've never really kind of found that that mm. consistent one that we feel comfortable in I mean from what from what I understand our best set piece taker at the moment is, is Mark Navarro and he's not even on the pitch so we've got to kind of find a way of, of improving in that situation because it's, it's going to hurt us in, in the long run Somebody who looked like he had potential was Domingus Quina. Um, he seemed to strike a ball really well. Um, but obviously he's been loaned out and he recently scored his first goal for Granada in a 3-2 defeat to Esker. Um, isn't this a guy that plays really well in a 4-3-3? Why, is he, why has he been loaned out? I do, I do think there's a little bit... I think we're in a bit of a transitional phase where we've got a new sporting director that's looking to kind of go in his own direction and maybe we've got a few players that are still hanging around from the Giraldi era that we're not, we maybe don't feel as comfortable on now or we, we don't quite rate as, as much as we previously had under the, under the previous administration. So it's kind of working out a way of reshaping the squad. But I think the question you ask is valid. It's the same one I, I kind of asked too. I would assume that perhaps there was a, a lack of communication and the, the intent to switch that system early enough um, in in the kind of well maybe maybe the thought or maybe the idea from Shishko came too late in the process and he was already you know further along but I think there needs to be some some dialogue there because clearly losing a midfielder when we're kind of suddenly quite thin in midfield now we we only an injury away from being in a quite difficult situation so taking an option away from that is is strange I mean obviously you can see there's a appealing side to, to Queen and wants to move out but I also can't get the impression that he'd have been quite happy to stay if there was if there was a chance of him getting minutes and I think if he had have been in that team and given those minutes I think we would have seen there's a good chance we would have seen the best of him he, he struggled a few times um, when he did play earlier in the season but ultimately if he's going to if he's going to be successful anywhere it's going to be in that central midfield position in that midfield three when you can give him a little bit more of that freedom to kind of get forward and he gives you something we don't currently have I mean we discussed Will Hughes being incisive and being able to push us forward, but Domingos Quina is is a little bit more of a spark in that area. He can he can carry the ball, he can drive on, he can play a little bit more advanced. And for me, he's also decent cover on the left wing too. So it's a real strange one for me. Um, I know it's quite a divisive topic amongst amongst Watford fans, but mm. as far as I'm concerned, if you're pushing for promotion, for promotion, we've got limited assets in terms of uh, what we can you know spend in the transfer windows to lose a player. For no real gain, um, personally, for me, it, it's you know it's detrimental to your promotion push. So yeah, I'm still disappointed by it, and I think I think he would have been useful. And as he as you say, he did well. He's doing well already for Granada. He's got a really nice goal, mm. and uh, yeah, I think I think we'll miss him. Liga does have um, you know a bit more attention on it than the Championship, so potentially he could raise his profile and and maybe raise raise his price as well. If if, if you know they're thinking about moving him on, and, and considering they didn't. In fact, was it was it was he free? I think was he free? So, yeah. So um, I mean, anything they can make on him is is good. But if they can if they can bump that up, then it's good for the Potsos. But um, you know, I think Watford fans want to see him play in in a yellow and black shirt, not a not not a red one. Or actually, before, I'll clarify. It might have been a fee involved in that, but it was a very small fee. It might have even been like a million. That's not a million is not small, but relative to where we were at the time, I know it's mm. a very low fee. It was it was something that was you know, quite a good bit of business for us. And yeah, if you want to cash in on them, if you're looking to raise his value, then yeah, I mean, by all means go ahead and and uh, bring him to take him over to Granada and give him the opportunity to kind of raise that profile a bit but to me 
I mean that that comes secondary to 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 getting you you know your team promoted, and I think I'm not saying that doing us Quinn and being here would get us promoted, but it gives you a little bit, it gives you options, and that's what you're going to need over the course of the season. Um, so that's how I feel personally. But then I'm also not privy to the intricacies of you know what's going on with the player, and there might be other issues we're not we're not sure of. But just based on the fact of talking about a player for his playing ability and what kind of needs we have in the team. It's a it's a slightly frustrating one for me because I think we could uh, we could benefit from having him around the place. Okay, well, from Granada to Real Madrid, and the reason I say that is because Jonathan Woodgate is now the manager at Bournemouth. He's the guy that's come in to replace Jason Tindall. And uh, let's have a quick word on that first before we go into to Bournemouth. I was surprised that um, that Tindall wasn't given long in the job considering his pedigree at Bournemouth you know he was a, a player and then he was a coach for a long time and he was assistant manager and and then just a manager for a few months basically before before they decided that you know it's time for someone else to have a go um and Woodgate's come in and um seemingly not had quite the the change that I suppose the Bournemouth hierarchy were were hoping for he's won two lost two and drawn one in the league but um I mean do you think it was it was wrong maybe to get rid of Tyndall too early? Or um, is it one of those where looking from the outside in, it's very easy for us to say uh, that, 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 he should have, that he should have had longer. But um, I'm sure the Bournemouth fans would have said, no, we, 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 wanted, we wanted the change. Or maybe some wouldn't. I mean, you know, what do you guys think? I thought it was a weird appointment at the time if they were, you know, I know Eddie Howe stepped down rather than being sacked. But if you're kind of saying, right, we're going to go to you know, we by hook or by crook, we're going in a different direction to then keep and appoint the bloke that's been synonymous with Eddie Howe and everything he stood for for the last several long, just seemed like a slightly strange decision, even more so the fact that we know coming down from the Premier League and trying to get promoted back up is incredibly hard. So to give it to a virtually rookie manager, I thought was a big show of faith. So I'm not entirely surprised he's been moved on, but I... Do, I did think, you know, kind of what did you expect equally? Um, and, and and as you say, Matt, I, I wonder if it's one of those situations where Bournemouth fans can make complete sense of it, but those of us looking from the outside in uh, probably can't. As so far as Jonathan Woodgate's concerned, I think that's an equally baffling decision because by the same, you know, he hadn't been there long, but he was appointed while Jason Tindall was there. So, he, you know, he kind of comes as part of that regime um, that was so problematic, he removed the manager. And, it, you know, his own coaching record or, you know, management record is not not so impressive that he seems like an immediate upgrade, even for the rest of the season. Um, however, all that said, it's probably better than getting Thierry Henry in, whose credentials are being a huge name and nothing else. So um, I don't think I'd be chuffed if I was Bournemouth support, a Bournemouth supporter. But, you know, people in glass houses can't throw stones and, you know, we have made some probably equally baffling decisions from the outside <laughs> in recent times, haven't we? So, yeah, that's where I am with it. But I was I was a little bit surprised with the whole process. I think on the, on the Tyndall aspect, I think with all the criticism we get from how we kind of operate with our coaches and, and managers, I think if you look at Bournemouth as an example of how the direct opposite of that can really hurt you down the line too. I mean, they tied a lot of their a lot of they put a lot all their eggs in one basket basically with Eddie Howe they kind of relied heavily on him um, when it came to the coaching but also he had a big input in, in transfers which was very hit and miss over his time there but they invested a lot into their coach and you know there's there's a risk that comes with that when you put that much into your coach then 
if the coach leaves, you're in, you're left in a difficult situation. So, I think I think for me, I think going with Tyndall was trying to they were trying to kind of negate the loss of how by kind of carry on some of that some of that legacy that he had there and they probably thought tinder was as a good kind of transition a good bridge for that maybe hoping that he'd learned enough of how over that time and understood the way that how operated he probably you know very familiar with the training the protocols before games after games how the team's going to set up he they can kind of carry that on a little bit and maybe have a little bit more continuity and maybe that would be enough to kind of get that team revitalized and push them in a, in a slightly different direction but along the same lines as what got them promoted before so i think that's probably their plan uh, i think ultimately it seemed that uh, the philosophies of the two coaches are very different jason tindall was very defensive um, as opposed to how he's you know quite possession based looking to get wingers into play and it didn't really work in that in that way at all for jason tindall so I, I think from the outside you can yeah you can maybe question it but from the games i saw of bournemouth i think they really did look quite negative um they didn't look a goal threat and I think some of their better players are in those forward areas. So to not to not use them is, is frustrating. Like we, we've kind of felt similar to that at points this season ourselves. So I think it's probably a, a good decision to get rid of Tyndall. Um, I don't think it worked out. I think you've got to be a little bit proactive. Uh, it, it does take a little bit of courage to do so because, you know, they've they've invested some more into Tyndall and they're not they're not up for kind of getting rid of their coach at the same level that we are. We're quite prepared for that that change and, and Bournemouth aren't so much. But then I think as Tom says, the, the point of Woodgate's a kind of a strange one because they've really gone from one defensive coach to another. Um you know, Woodgate's kind of He's he's had the same deficiencies and frailties to his his game that it, that um, J- Jason Tindall has. So it's a strange one. Um, it seems a little bit panicked to me in terms of appointment. Um, as you say, it's another kind of another in, internal hire. So I think they're in a difficult situation. I, I don't think they're necessarily a better team with Woodgate uh, at, at the helm, but I guess it remains to be seen. But what I do know is that facing a struggling Bournemouth side when we're kind of on a good run of form does put me into a bit of a nervous situation myself. So should we expect Bournemouth to be more of a defensive side than we than we saw earlier in the season or is it more like for like? I think, yeah, I'd, I'd say they kind of are. I mean, I think earlier on in the season they were able to, I think we gave them quite a lot of space to work and we were quite happy not to have as much of the ball and we were quite happy to kind of let them play a little bit and they kind of gave them that freedom. But on overall, they've looked, they've tried to, to me, they've looked like they've kind of tried to, paper over some cracks the defensive issues by allocating a few more a few more numbers defensively and they've got they've flirted with the five at the back formation and trying to kind of be a little bit more defensive and try and kind of you know stop stop the right in that situation but it does come at the expense of their attack and I think their attack's not been firing the way they'd want to and they have got some you know names in there but they've not been consistent enough and they've not been putting out the performances that you'd expect from them um, I think when you speak to Bournemouth fans they, they do feel that a lot of those players are quite overrated they're not kind of showing up and you know we've all relegated teams have had that for a number of years we've suffered it ourselves too you've got these big name players that talk about wanting to come back to the Premier League and get you promoted but then when it comes down to it they're not performing consistently enough and you can see they're not really fully into it and I, I think Bournemouth have suffered from that so yeah I think they are a little bit more defensive um, I think this could be we're facing them at a difficult period of their, of their season so I think naturally they're not going to necessarily want to come out all guns blazing because if they concede one goal, uh, that's a that's a huge psychological blow, especially in the game which is you know somewhat over the years become a bit of a derby, hasn't it? So um, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be too 
open. Um, I think they're going to try and be quite conservative, especially in that first half. But they're, they're one to be careful of because I do feel like they have got enough in there in terms of personnel that if they do get a lead, they could they could capitalise on that and continue. And you know we've got to we've got to be switched on for it. I think the other thing to just say on Bournemouth, and this could be you know could be absolutely nothing, but Thierry Henry has left Montreal Impact today. Uh, obviously, it's the off season in MLS, but you know it's it's not that long until the new season is is scheduled to start. All being well, and he was heavily linked as we touched on before. And I just wonder, on the basis that Jonathan Woodgate's only been put in interim charge until the end of the season, and you know lost the last couple, roundly beaten by Cardiff, uh, or quite comfortably beaten by Cardiff in the week, and, and beaten by QPR prior to that, you know. We've seen Stranger Things. Would it be a huge surprise if they suddenly said, all right, well, we tried that, you know, let's get Sierra Henry and now he's um, available and presumably uh, the release clause in his contract is is now irrelevant. So, uh, yeah, just just throwing that out there that it might not affect us, but we might see it in the, in the near future. Mm. Bournemouth now on 49 points in seventh. And like you say, that uh, defeat to Cardiff will have hurt because they've, they've now climbed into sixth, Cardiff, and they've taken that uh, playoff spot and um it, there's a big gap now between reading and swansea uh of eight points and it just feels as though those four uh you know and i'm, I'm including watford in this are hopefully uh going to be able to carry on and it, it it's feeling more and more like it's going to be one of those or rather two of those four that, that end up getting the the top two and, and leaving the you know the rest of the rest for the for the playoffs along with whoever can make it into fifth and sixth. And that's a different battle at the minute for, for that between the likes of, well, everyone down to kind of Stoke, I suppose, at the minute. Yeah, it's just, you know, it can, it can change so quickly. Still, even still, though, I mean, look, we've won four in a row and how, how different the table looks and you do something like that. And if, if a team can put can put a run together like that or equally if a team goes in the losing streak of four you know it can it can all shift around so I think if you if you're looking at it from our perspective you kind of got to keep keep pushing in that direction and just hope that uh that someone falls along the way and I think as long as you're kind of picking up those results it's, it's entirely possible that that a team will kind of fall to that that poor run of form as as likely as one of the ones below us kind of picking up more consistent more consistent performances and, and pushing on to try and catch us. So, I mean, ultimately, we'd rather be in the position we're in that we're kind of controlling our own destiny here and we can kind of keep working off of what we've been doing so far. And I, I think we're in a pretty good position right now and we should still be looking at those top two spots. Mm. We're um, we're pretty good in the in, in the goals against column still as well. Um, it's something that's that, that we've highlighted a few times. And despite sometimes we've been a bit critical of Watford's defending, um, other than Swansea, you know we've probably got the best record in the in the league at the minute for for you know keeping goals out, which uh, you know is, is a credit to, to the team. Yeah, it's been a, a real sort of staple, I think, all season, hasn't it? Even even under Ivic, I don't think we've been you know comfortably beaten by anyone um, this season. I the the impressive thing for me is that we've kind of had several phases as well or surprising thing maybe more than impressive we've had several phases you know at the beginning of the season it was obviously the back three and we had you know Ben Wilmot was in there Ben Wilmot's come out Christian Capasadi's come out Craig Cathcart's come out and Truster Kong and, and Sierra Alta have kind of have built that partnership haven't they now and they seem to be the kind of the, the the two that are in form and then obviously the change of keeper but I think that speaks for the reason I'm making this point I promise I'm getting there is that it kind of speaks with the, the strength of 
the the team and the kind of you know defending from the front and defending as a unit that the quality of chances we are giving up is not particularly high and the number of chances we're giving up is not particularly high but it also helps that we've got two very good goalkeepers as um as we've we've discussed uh discussed before and all in all we've got the uh third best expected goals against per 90 which pretty much bears out with uh what we're what we're actually achieving it's also worth noting we were very far behind we for a while we were massively outperforming our expected goals against we were conceding way less than we should have done for large portion of the season so it shows that in recent weeks I think when it comes to actually chances created against us and the quality of those chances we've improved defensively you could argue too and if you look at Watford's away games as well which had been a problem for the majority of the season it feels like ever since well you know like Stoke City to be honest we've kind of turned a corner with that we beat Stoke 2-1 we you know held Millwall to a goalless draw we held Coventry to a goalless draw um we beat Preston 1-0 we have beat Blackburn Rovers 3-2 we've been able to kind of hold our own uh away now which is you know a lot better than the start of the season well I think too it's being so, a threat isn't it as well it's just being able to kind of I mean it's a bit of a cliche but you know best form of defense attack and all that we've been able to find another avenue of pushing teams back and we don't just have to rely on what has been a pretty good defensive line. We've been pretty solid in those those central two, regardless of who's been in there. Really, but it's pretty pretty solid and uncompromising. So that's great. But if you kind of couple that with having a threat and giving the opposition less time on the ball and less opportunities, then you know it kind of creates that that situation where you can go away from home and you can be quite comfortable defensively and you can you can you know ride things out. But you've also got to be a threat and you've got to score goals. And that was really the missing piece. And I think finding a bit more of that balance has made you know huge difference has actually made us a threat away from home and we're able to kind of go into away games a little bit more confidence the away form has improved to the point that I don't think it was even mentioned in the commentary last night oh you know a rare away win because at one point we just we couldn't win away but as you say we've we've got a little bit of a little bit of form on the road now I think we've only lost this year away from home to Swansea I think I'm right in saying first game of the year and that is good when you consider that we've got Bournemouth obviously uh you know playoff contenders relegated along with us Cardiff playoff contenders bang in form uh, Middlesbrough just outside the playoffs Luton obviously we know the significance of that Norwich top of the league and Brentford second to come so we got a, a pretty nightmarish run away from home uh, the exception being Rotherham uh, between now and the end of the season so we've probably come into form at a really important time on our travels and I think you feel I think if you're going into games you know you're still going to go there and try and play football you're going to kind of be aggressive on the ball you feel infinitely better about your chances when you've got that ability within within your team I think when you know when we kind of got so used to that performance away from home where it's kind of a, a nil-nil situation in there so you can kind of snatch something but it obviously works both ways you can concede equally in the same manner and you don't really feel so confident you feel like it's going to be a, a dour game that's not really going to produce much quality but I think now it kind of feels like the difference between home games and away games are definitely that gap's closing and we're starting to kind of work our way into it a little bit more and I think when you're playing away from home you're gonna you're gonna encounter different styles of play from the opposition I think if you go into the likes of Norwich and they're gonna be a little bit more on the front foot and it gives us opportunities as well so I think it's positive overall and it's, it's a it's a corner we've turned pretty well um, it's, it's especially when for so long of the season it looked like it was a real real issue and potentially something that was going to 
keep us out of that that top two contention. And there's a nice little positive note to, to end on. My thanks to Jordan and to Tom for joining me once again. You can find those guys on Twitter, as always, at Jordan Weimer, at TB Bedell, and also find us on Twitter as well, at Watford Pod. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us a retweet, all of the above. Uh, we'll be back again after the Bournemouth game. So until then, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And from Tom, Jordan and myself, it's goodbye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.